Local Content Podcast, your go-to source for content creation, strategy, and business inspiration. I'm your host, Mel Daniels, content strategist, coach, and speaker, empowering women across the globe to grow their business with powerful content that connects, nurtures, and converts. So if you're ready to create standout content that gets you noticed and remembered, or build an aligned audience who love you and are ready to buy from you, you're in the right place. I believe that content has the power to connect us all. It's up to you how you use it. Listen in for genuine and insightful chats with guests, as well as practical tools and strategies from me. It's so lovely to have you here. Let's dive into the show. Hello, hello, beautiful people, and welcome to episode 59 of the Powerful Content Podcast. As a listener to this podcast, I just know that you are going to love today's discussion with my very special guest, Cassandra Goodman. Cassandra is the founder and director of the Center for Self-Fidelity. She is guided by the belief that we liberate our highest potential by reconnecting to our deepest selves. Cassandra brings three decades of business experience and has held many different senior leadership roles, including Global Director of Employee Experience at Bupa, where she was accountable for activating Bupa's purpose of longer, healthier, happier lives for their 86,000 employees around the world. Now, today, Cassandra is an accredited leadership coach, business consultant, author of two books, and mother to two young boys. Welcome to the podcast, Cassandra. Thank you, Mel. I'm excited to be here. I am so looking forward to this conversation because whilst your work primarily centers around leaders in the corporate space, I think it's really super relevant to owners of small businesses as well, who Mm. are really trying to navigate being true, being true to themselves and running a business that reflects this and being leaders within their own businesses and their own communities as well. Um, But before we get stuck into all of that, all that nitty gritty about being true, I'd love for you to share some of your journey on how you got to be where you are today, including the author of not just one, but two amazing books, which are both on my bookshelf, (laughs) I have to say, um, both self-fidelity and being true. So yeah, just let us know a little bit about your journey. Sure, Mel. And and I absolutely agree with your point about leadership, right? I talk a lot about authentic leadership. My second book, Being True, is a guide for leaders, but I believe that we're all leaders, right? Whether we're leading ourselves through tricky times, whether we're a leader within our community, within our family, um, within our own businesses, or whether you're a leader in more of a traditional sense where you have people that report to you, I believe we are all leaders, Um, And so when I use the term leader and leadership, I'm really being very inclusive and broad in in that language. Um, So how where to begin in terms of my story? How did I end up here running the Centre for Self-Fidelity? Well, it's always a long story and it was and it's, of course, not something I planned. Um, I think I spent many, many years working for organisations big and small. And what I kept thinking throughout that 30 year period is that there was just so much unnecessary suffering happening in workplaces, suffering that I personally experienced, suffering that I witnessed kind of day in and day out. And I kept having this thought, which was something like, so much of this suffering could be avoided if only we knew how to treat ourselves and each other with more kindness, more curiosity, more respect, more compassion. Uh, And I just 
kept having this thought that we've just drifted away from who we truly are so often in, at work under the pressure of work and under this kind of relentless pursuit of trying to kind of achieve our way to enoughness is the language I use, trying to achieve and strive and prove and perfect our way to somehow feeling like we're enough. And so I think all of those things came together um, when I finally decided to le- leave the corporate world and back myself and and pursue this idea um, to I wrote my first book Self Fidelity in one of the first lockdowns here in Melbourne which you know I've got two young kids I was homeschooling it was a pretty crazy time and I decided to use that opportunity where there wasn't a lot of work for me really to get this idea kind of polished and written down in a format that I could share and so I coined this idea of the practice of self-fidelity. You know, we know about self-compassion, self-care, self-awareness, but I felt this idea of self-fidelity was really needed. And I define self-fidelity as this practice of restoring faith in who we really are, this practice that really restores trust in ourselves and our own goodness, our own power, our own capacity to stay caring and connected and curious and playful, even when the world around us is is really challenging us. Um, so it's really a practice that helps us understand and reconnect to our core. So, you know, if we talk about the arc of my career, I, what I say is that I kind of move further and further up the supply chain. And by that, I mean, my career actually started in customer experience innovation with GE. Then I moved up to employee experience innovation because I knew that good customer outcomes depended on good employee experiences. And now I play in this realm of inner inner experience transformation, particularly helping leaders to transform their inner experiences because I know the ripple effects that creates through great employee customer experiences, through customer, through, sorry, employee experience, customer experience, and out into the communities and the ecosystems in which we operate. So, so that's kind of a brief summary. And I know, Cassandra, that you have a goal, a very special goal to get the word self-fidelity into the dictionary in your lifetime. So if any of my listeners have any, you know, contacts in terms of dictionaries and getting language out there, Cassandra's your woman and let's get self-fidelity into that that dictionary because it's such an important term, isn't it? It's like you said, it's about that self-compassion, which so many of us don't have and we don't feel like we can bring it to the work that we do every single day. So thank you so much for sharing this with us. And I, I know that so many of my listeners will be able to identify with parts of that story Um, A lot of my listeners have come from a corporate space themselves and have gone through that transition of motherhood and decided not to go back into the corporate workspace and uh, run their own businesses instead. So I know that they know that feeling of not enoughness, as you as you put it, and really feeling like they're being driven by something that's not really them. It's it's, you know, an outer something that's that's driving them. So Let's talk about that feeling for a moment um, or that concept about having to be someone else or feel like we need to be someone else or someone who others think that we need to be and how that fits in with the concept of being true. Yeah, and it's such a common story, isn't it, Mel? And when you look at so many of the the people that are held up in society as kind of hashtag winning, you know, hustling and hashtag winning. So many of them are driven, just driven by this relentless pursuit and it's never enough. You know, I always think about that great song from The Greatest Showman, you know, never enough. 
all the money, all the fame, all the fortune, all the cars, all the fancy clothes, it's never enough. And it's because we're chasing this sense of worthiness uh, outside of ourselves rather than learning how to cultivate it inside of ourselves. So, you know, we're, we're, yeah, we're striving, we're looking outside for answers that only can be found inside of us. And the, the penny dropped for me when I was at um, this big uh, leadership retreat that was actually run by Leadership Victoria. And it was kind of pretty much at the height of my corporate career, you know, thought, oh, I'll take myself to this fancy retreat, you know, to really, you know, just fine tune this, this game of leadership that I'm already, you know, doing pretty well at. That was kind of my, my self-talk around this this leadership retreat. And when I got there, I realised that so many of these high-achieving women, it was a women's retreat, were all struggling with this same low low self-worth. And I could see that was this real, really big shadow side of, of high-achieving people, men and women, this secret shadow of low self-worth, not really believing that who we are is, is enough and valuable. And the moment that it really hit home was the moment when one of the women at the ret- retreat who was running the emergency ward at a big public hospital, so this woman was very literally saving lives every day mm-hmm at work right and she stood up in front of the group with tears coming down her face and she said I feel like I have no value in the world and I'm thinking holy crap if you're saving lives and you don't feel like you have value in the world and I'm trying to get there through fancier job titles company cars and big fat salary bonuses like I am screwed I still remember having that moment like Mm -hmm. oh no if you're not there, my, you know, my strategy is not going to work. And that's when I realized, gosh, I've got to find a way just to know I'm enough that comes inside of me. That that was the 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 depth of the inside at that point, which is one, my my strategy was fundamentally flawed. If if saving life didn't cut it, my strategy certainly was not. And I need to find a whole different way. And it took me many, many years to figure out, well, what did that really mean to find a sense of enoughness that came inside of me rather than this relentless pursuit of the gold stars? Um, and But that was the seed, I think, of the practice for self-fidelity. And so many people uh, are driven. It's like it almost felt like a compulsion, you know, this striving, this proving, the perfecting, the pleasing. And I, I and it's hard because when you're in that paradigm, when you when you when that paradigm is unquestioned, that you know I'll be worthy when I'll be enough when 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 that's just our paradigm, it's really hard to break free. And I remember in my corporate career, I had an older um, colleague called Jeff, and Jeff very kindly pulled me aside one day into a meeting room, and he said to me, Cassie, you know you don't have to keep trying to prove yourself. You, you know you've already made it. And I remember my inner dialogue. When lovely Jeff gave me that lovely wise feedback, I remember thinking to myself, what are you talking about, Jeff? I'm just warming up. Move aside, buddy. What are you talking about? I've already made it. What are you talking about? And at the time, I'd been selected as one of three people for this really prestigious job leading in a company-wide transformation. Jeff and I were one of the, two of the three, and I just couldn't understand what he meant. And I, I look back and I I, I I include that story in my book, and I reached out to Jeff to say, I now understand what you meant. But at the time, I really didn't understand. So it takes that self-reflection to get to get what we're talking about, I suppose. Mm. And let's just talk about self-reflection for a moment, if we can, Cassandra, because I think that this is a big one, that we don't necessarily make the time or the space to be able to do this. 
in this very fast-paced world, we tend to be fill our, our days with busyness with all of the things and we don't take that time to actually stop and think and reflect and to be able to, you know, really get to the core of who we are. So what are your thoughts around that constant busyness that we that we tend to have? The doing, 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 right? Mm. Yeah, and the resistance of the being, the resistance of the being still. Yeah, it's so common, right? And there's a great quote from Adam Grant that says something like, wisdom doesn't come from experience. Wisdom comes from reflecting on experience. Mm. And I think that's so true because we think that wisdom, knowledge comes from just reading another book, um, going to another leadership retreat in my case, the, the doing, the doing, the doing rather than the being reflective. But that's where the wisdom comes, right? And so this is a really big problem that we don't create space for reflection. We don't create space or opportunity for that wisdom to emerge and I meet a lot of leaders who are quite scared of that. I do, I, I, I do a masterclass on what I call the tricky business of authentic leadership. And I delivered this masterclass just last week to quite a big group of leaders. And as we were talking at the end about how people felt about this invitation I was presenting of, of journeying inside, understanding the different parts of ourselves, reconnecting with our core. And I asked, you know, how are you feeling? And one woman put her hand up and said, I am absolutely petrified. I am absolutely petrified of looking within. And I said, what, what, why is it so petrifying? She said, because I've spent my whole life trying to be someone I'm not. And now you're saying I've got to do something different. So it can be really scary. And what I hope in my second book, particularly being true, is I really try to break this down, that this this journey of self-discovery doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't mean the wheels are going to fall off. It's a very gentle process of really understanding yourself, befriending yourself for yourself or the different parts of yourself. And often this fear comes from a, a part of ourselves that, that's, that's really terrified of what, what might happen if if my true uh, pain is exposed, that, that the system, we can't handle it if we go to some of these younger parts that do have injuries from the past because we all have younger parts that carry injuries from childhood, when we learn to trade off our authenticity for attachment, that's what we do as kids. We 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 push down our own feelings and we we prioritize the needs of our parents in order to have this attachment that we need for our survival. That's a well documented phenomenon that we do as as young as young humans. We trade off our authenticity for attachment, and then these these younger parts of ourselves that carry that pain. That's what we're afraid will overwhelm us if we look within. But but what we know, it doesn't actually overwhelm us. It really just actually creates this sense of inner peace and inner calm. And it's probably important to mention here that the the methodology and the modality I use in my practice in my books is an evidence based um, methodology or, or modality called internal family systems therapy. That's evidence based and has been used in therapeutic settings for over three decades. So the, the approach I take is very much a safe evidence-based approach to really looking within, illuminating these different parts and figuring out what they need to feel less afraid and less alone. So what do you think, Cassandra, is the best way for us to do that self-reflection process? So is it making sure that we put time in our calendar once a month to, to reflect on, on things? Is it a fly by the seat of your pants type of thing when the experiences or opportunities arise what's that 
uh, catalyst for us to to make the time to self-reflect? Yeah, it's a really good question, Mel. And I think it de- it depends on what's going to help you to get started, right? Because we want to find kind of the thinnest end of the wedge, so to speak, thinnest end of the reflection wedge. So you just get some little moments of reflection in your day. Yeah, I think my feeling on reflection or reflective practice is it's better that it's done in small amounts regularly than, you know, put aside for a monthly um, ritual. I think there's so much we can learn about ourselves just by reflecting on how we've shown up during the day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether it's um, a, a little morning uh, ritual over a coffee or an evening ritual, maybe piggybacked on to brushing your teeth or having a shower or just before getting into bed at night, just a small moment when you think back about how you've shown up that day and what, what the voices in your head were compelling you to do and whether you were able to dig deeper beneath those compulsions I'll give you a small example so I wrote um, I write a weekly blog and today in my blog I talked about the story of my son I was going to bring this story up too (laughs) I love this story all right so my son had a really tough day he he was really angry and he threw his new sneakers over the backyard fence into the neighbor's pool (laughs) brand new sneakers right so in that moment of course part inside me um there was a part that was really embarrassed oh my god I'm gonna have to go and explain to the neighbors why my kids freaking out of control that was my first thought my second thought is what a spoilt little brat <laughs> what those sneakers clearly he's spoilt and you've done something wrong he's he, you've totally ruined this child and it's all your fault um so so and many other you know aspects of my inner dialogue many of which or all of which actually were not compelling me to be my, my best self in that moment so because of my self-fidelity practice, I was able to notice that dialogue, notice the urge to scream, to yell, to punish, to disconnect from him. But because I could observe all that, just enough, I was able to, I think, stay connected to my core self. At my core, I know, having been a mum for 10 years now, I know that my boys need my love when they least deserve it. Mm. I know that to be true. And so, okay, I thought, okay, he least deserves my love right now. That must mean he really needs it. Throwing their sneakers is a cry for help. He just can't cope. Mm. I, I was able to have that thought. And so from that place, I was able to say a calm but full firm words about why that was not okay, of course. But then I was able to take him next door, kind of explain to the neighbor without shaming him. Hey, Elliot Snickers is kind of in your pool. They're taking a swim, but you mind fishing them out for us? Um, we got the sneakers back <laughs> and later that night, my son said to me, "Mum, you're the best mum in the world. Um, thank you. Maybe I'm not ready for Fortnite, which was a big win because he's been wanting Fortnite on his iPad for months. And I went to, to bed feeling good, right? And when I reflected on that experience, for example, what I, what I was able to see is these catastrophizing parts of me that really yell inside my head, you know, your life is, your life is effed up. It's all your fault. Do something. Take control. It's kind of the summary of what these voices inside of me say. And that I was able not to listen to those voices, to keep that part of me out of the driver's seat and remain calm for me was a big win. So that that and I, that was a few minutes reflection that night, thinking just in slow motion, that experience, what was happening inside of me, how I was able to stay connected to my compassion, keep my heart open for my son who just needed my love. And, and I knew that if I yelled and punished and sent him to the, his room, it would have been a twist of the knife in his already pained little heart, you know. And 
And so that's a, a simple example of a challenging situation I faced just a few weeks ago, a few minutes to reflect and the, the insight that emerged that this, what that true strength is really staying connected to our core when it's really, really hard. Hmm. So it doesn't have to be a big fancy ritual. You have the candle burning, the cup of tea, and the perfect journal, <laughs> to then end up in Instagram because that's what happens when we make a big deal out of it, right? <laughs> it's just these small, <laughs> small moments where we, when we think, how did I show up today? Did how I show up accurately ref- reflect who I really am at my core? And if not, why not? What what was happening inside of me to cause that to happen? And and how do I? try something different next time. Yeah. Mm. I love how you explain that self-reflection doesn't have to be a big deal. I think that that's really, really important for people to understand that it's those little moments, it's those little moments that we can catch ourselves as as well as those little moments that we can look back on what happened during the day. So I think that's really special. Besides not going into that practice of self-reflection, is there anything else that we do to self-sabotage ourselves of actually being true. So what makes it harder? Yeah, the heart, The thing that makes it the hardest now is that we have a complete misunderstanding of self. We believe that we're singular in our psychology. There's only one Mel to take care of and be. There's only one Cassie to take care of and be. And that's actually not true. You know, it's well documented through many different um, branches of psychology that the human mind is naturally multiple, that we all have many parts of us. We have a core self and then we have many, many different parts. So until we accept that truth, it's really hard to reflect because um, let's say in that instance where that that voice in my head was screaming, your kids are feral and sport, your family is totally effed up and it's all your fault. If I believe that voice was really me, then I would be terrified to look within because because if I look within, it would reveal that I'm a really nasty, horrible person and a terrible mom. But knowing that that, well, no, that was one part of me who was really scared and probably very young and very immature and not equipped to cope, I'm able to create some space. So I think remembering that we all have many parts and that the, those nasty, judgmental um, voices in our head do not reflect who we really are, that beneath that there's a way of being that's really calm and compassionate and wise and loving and curious and playful, all the best qualities of human nature. So the little hack, if you want to bring it right down to like a micro step, is when we're feeling angry, overwhelmed, when we want to scream or yell, just thinking to ourselves, part of me is overwhelmed, part of me is furious, part of me feels like a failure part of me is petrified my kids are sport brat part of me part of me because when we say part of me they're already creating a little bit of separation between that part and our core and just by separating a little bit we're more likely to stay tethered to our compassion our courage and our clarity in that moment um so i think that in my inner practice when my son threw those sneakers to be able to kind of be this observer okay part of me wants to yell part of me is really angry just gave me that little bit of um, capacity to stay connected to my core. I love that. I love that so much because when we say I am, it Mm -hmm. kind of, it reflects that, you know, that whole being that I am totally these things. I am totally the, you know, the mean person, the person that yells at their children, the the person who loves to control things, you know, but when we say part of me, then that's just a whole different perspective, isn't it? I just love that. Yeah, I love that so much. 
And we can use it to validate others. So when my son says, I wish my brother was dead, I will say, I know part of you wishes your brother ah. was dead, but I know deep down you love him. So it's also validating in others rather than saying, what a horrible thing to say. You know what mm. I mean? Yeah, it's a, it's a different <laughs> perspective, isn't it? Yeah. A different yeah. perspective. So if being true is such an important part of, you know, life, in part, part, important part of showing up in business, in work, whatever we do, then how can we make this whole process uh, a lot easier? How can we begin to separate ourselves from the part of us that's overwhelmed as an example? How can we go through those steps or that process to really implement a trueness to being true? Well, I'm reaching for my book now, Mel, because, you know, I spent a lot of time. You've got it there, beautiful, with the vibrant <laughs> yellow sunshine. Um, so I, in my book, I talk about five practices. And, yes. you know, these are not just randomly selected practices, of course. I thought very deeply about what are the five foundational practices that build this capability, this capability to stay tethered to our core when the voices in our head are telling us to to lash out, to yell, to scream, to disconnect, to punish, to withdraw, to protect, all those things that aren't congruent with who we are. So the, the five practices are, one, discovering your inner team. So being open to this new understanding of self and really being willing to look within and say, oh, yeah, I have got this part of me that really wants to control. I have got this other part of me that really feels like she needs to have a glass of wine to be okay oh, I have got this other part of me that's kind of addicted to social media because she thinks her likes mean that she's worthy. You know, I could go on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this never-ending babushka doll. You think you got to the final one, like, oh, my God, there's another five inside there. <laughs> so it's, like, it's like the most elaborate, like, thousand-layered babushka doll you can imagine is inside of us. So figuring uh, beginning to illuminate that inner world is the first one. Then the second practice is beginning to understand the key players. Often we have like a primary part is how we do life. So my little misachiever is my primary part, this part of me that's driven to basically feel like she's worthy by being a high achieving, low maintenance machine. That, that's her mission in life. So she's one of the key players in, in my inner realm. The second, the third practice is caring for your parts. So figuring out what these parts, what do they need most from you? So, you know, my little Miss Achiever used to get very upset at my husband if he didn't ask about her day. Um, so I've learned that I've got to just say to her, it takes, you know, 30 seconds on my drive home. I see you, sweetheart. You've done really well today. Well done you. And it's just a little bit of acknowledgement to her. Say, so I see you. You've done well. Remembering who you are is really about getting clear on who we are at our core. You know, what I say is that the very best of human nature is trying to blend and express itself through us in unique, powerful ways and really understanding what is that unique blend of the best of human nature. Like for me, my essence is really a blend of zest and playfulness and creativity. And there's a lot of vitality in my essence as well. So just starting to tune in, like who am I being when I'm being most myself? What is the essence of me and remembering that? And then the fifth practice is how do we harness that essence? It's kind of this renewable source of inner power. You know, um, the, the parts, like Little Miss Achiever is a powerful force within me. She propelled most of my career success. But just because she's powerful as a, a source of energy doesn't mean it's good for me or others. It's actually, her way of doing things is often anti-leadership. It's not really mm -hmm. leadership. 
because it's all about her. <laughs> so um, when we tune into our essence and I can show up in ways that are more congruent with who I really am as a creative, connected, playful, vital, you know, excited being, that energy, that essence is is equally as powerful and it's more sustainable and it actually enables me to serve the greatest good. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I could just talk to you all day, Cassandra, about these. I really could. <laughs> we'll have to do part two then, Mel. Well, I, think, I think we're going to have to. I really do. Renee Brown does it all the time, so so should you. <laughs> there you go. But I think that we'll, we'll probably wind it up. And I just wanted to read a little bit of a little quote from your book, if I could, please, Cassandra. Oh, please. Something, yeah. something that really hit home to me and it's in the remembering who you are part of the practices of being true and it was just a couple of sentences that I that really made me stop and think and I'm hoping that it's going to make my listeners just stop and think for one moment just one moment is all I'm asking so the quote is how might life be different if you trusted deeply that everything you need to be an inspiring leader is already inside you What would it mean to have an unshakable faith that the wisest, calmest, most patient and compassion version of yourself is your true identity? Let's begin the process of finding out. And I think that that's a great way to kind of sum up exactly what being true is really about, understanding who you are at your deepest core and being that person rather than being someone you think you should be or someone that you think someone else uh, needs you to be. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today, Cassandra. Before we wrap up though, I always ask my guests this question. I am all about women in particular owning their superpowers. What do you think is your superpower? Oh, what's my superpower? You know, I think I've reclaimed my superpower, which is to confidently explore that which is really hard to understand. You know, um, when I was a little girl at school, I had this strong memory of writing a poem about, about the miracle of an egg. I remember I wrote this poem about how this gooey mush can turn into a fluffy little chick. And I was really enthralled, but how is this possible? And I remember the teacher shaming me in front of the whole class for this poem I'd so carefully written. And she, she said to me, Cassie, it's just an egg. And that moment really had an impact on me. And I think for many, many years after that, I kind of denied this part of me that that wanted to wonder and figure out about this, this what's mysterious and what I don't fully understand, but just feel it's important to to discover. And I think that's what what's really um, my superpower is more and more feeling confident to to kind of learn out loud, to figure out some of these things that are quite mysterious, like who we, who are we and, and how do we be ourselves more often? These are really mysterious, difficult questions. So I think that is my superpower. More and more I'm, I'm able to confidently navigate these spaces that are a little bit mysterious, a little bit elusive, a bit hard to understand and, and do it before I have all the answers and not be afraid of being ridiculed and sometimes Sometimes I am. People do still call me naive or other things, but it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. So, yeah, I've never given that answer before, Mel, but I think that's what it might be. Yeah. yeah. And I th- I would agree. I would totally agree that that is your superpower. And just even bringing to light the ideas of self-fidelity and being true to yourself is such an important thing because we really do need to learn to embrace it and start living our lives as our true selves, really, rather than something 
someone that we think that we need to be. Before we wrap up, though, do you have any final parting words of wisdom? I would say that, you know, this work of figuring out who we really are, how to take care of all parts of ourselves doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. We can start gently. And sometimes when I coach people, they say to me things like, it just feels like we're opening a can of worms here. And I'm worried if I take the lid off the can of worms, the wheels will fall off. You know, I'm just barely holding it together as it is. It's often a sort of vibe I get when I start coaching people one-on-one. And what I always say is, look, let's just take one worm at at a time, just gently and slowly, you know, what worm do you want to begin with? And so I would say, resist the urge to put the lid back on the can of worms because when we really find that courage to look within and to take care of ourselves, it really can transform our lives. And there's such a strong link between uh, embracing all part of ourselves and the idea of belonging. You know, often we don't feel like we belong. We might even have this kind of vague sense of kind of homesickness at not belonging. And that lack of belonging comes from the, the reality that we, we don't belong to ourselves, that we're not embracing all parts of ourselves. And, you know, if you do it for not, no other reason than to feel like you belong, then it's worth doing, right? Wow, beautiful parting words of wisdom. Um, if any of my listeners want to know more about your work, obviously they can get in touch with you and uh, all of your uh, places where they can find you will be in the show notes. But I also really want to say that the two books that you've written, Self Fidelity and Being True, are two of the most um, beautiful, practical, eye-opening books. And I thoroughly recommend my listeners to to purchase them and uh, have a read. So where can they get those from? So if you go to selffidelity.com, that's self-fidelity.com, on the books tab, they're both there for sale. I will sign the copies, ship them off myself. And if you use the coupon code FRIEND, then uh, I will shout postage as well. So oh. um, check check out my books. I've got some really incredibly heartwarming feedback on the books. I'm really proud of them. They've taken me many, many years to write. And uh, I'm really glad um, they're out in the world and people are enjoying them. And thank you for your kind words, Mel. Well, thank you for writing them. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your wisdom with my listeners. I truly appreciate you being here. Thanks, Mel. Thanks so much for listening. That's it for another week. To get more powerful content in your life, make sure you're following along on socials. My handle is at Meld Business. And just in case you're wondering, the groovy music for this podcast was created by Just Here on SoundCloud. I'd also be super grateful if you took a moment to rate and review this podcast so more amazing women like you can experience the power of content. And if you're like, hell Mel, stop talking. I'm ready to work with you now. Here's how we can work some powerful content magic together. Firstly, come and join the Content Effect, my membership inspiring women with service-based businesses to ditch the content chaos and start creating standout content that gets you noticed and makes sales. You can join us by using the link in the show notes or just Google the Content Effect. The second way we can work together is via my one-on-one packages. We can create a sustainable content strategy or start to build out your client journey. It's up to you. Hop on over to meldbusinessservices.com.au forward slash services to find out more. Until next time, have a beautiful week and embrace the power of your content.